American soccer fans, welcome to episode 42 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, co-manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things United States national teams, the players, and everything else around the beautiful game in this country. We are back a day after putting out episode 41 yesterday because I have a great conversation for this show. As we close out Black History Month, I wanted to bring on someone who I've known for a long time. He has been doing the legwork to bring to light stories and players that need highlighting during Black History Month and beyond. He has been, uh, like I said, he's been a homie of mine for years, and he's become a leader in the supporters culture down in Richmond and across the country. He has two podcasts. He helps to run a supporters group for the Richmond Kickers, and he has collaborated with another supporters group to create, hands down, the funnest rivalry in American soccer. His name is Elliot Barr, and I'm delighted to have been able to sit down with my mans to talk about his podcast, The Black Supporter Culture, and how change is coming far too slowly for people of color. So here is that interview with Elliot Barr. And joining me is Elliot Barr. Elliot hosts a podcast called Can I Kick It? Which, yes, you can. It covers black soccer history, moments, and players. And he is also a co-host of the River City 93 podcast, which covers Richmond Kickers, among other things. E, glad to finally have you on the podcast. I was extremely grateful to be on Can I Kick It? last summer. And so I'm honored to return the favor and have you on the Stars and Stripes SC podcast. I mean, man, that's how it goes in, like, Black Soccer Twitter. Like, all of us have a podcast, and we all are guests and hosts on each other's podcast. Uh-huh. So it's like a revolving circle. It's just so, a rotation, yeah. Yeah, it's just rotation. <laughs> we, just, we just pass it around, you know, make sure everyone gets a little bit of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we're entering the last weekend of Black History Month, but Can I Kick It started last year in the middle of this panorama that we got going on. So what was your process for starting the podcast? I know you had already done – River City 93, what was her process for branching out to the um, Can I Kick a podcast? So pretty much we wanted to do a show that was based on Black History, first and foremost. But we've also realized there were no soccer shows or no one was really talking about Black soccer players specifically. You know, you had Tell the Soccer Show. They started doing soccer one-on-one. And I'm real cool with to Tell the Soccer Show guys. Taylor, Daryl, like Daryl was our mentor. Taylor Rockwell is like one of our closest friends. Um, so soccer one-on-one, but they were doing more of the basics of soccer and more of like the bigger highlight stories, you know, that would have captured like their audience, like mm-hmm. Diego Maradona and Pele and stuff like that. And then to ramen, um, I started listening to him when he did his 25 MLS stories. Cause so like me personally, I, I'm not a big MLS fan. Like anyone that follows me on Twitter, anyone that knows me personally knows that I'm a Richard Kickers fan. Because that's that's my local team. Like, right. that's all I care about. So I was trying to get more into MLS and NWSL. And I came across this podcast. And, you know, I'm, I'm a history major, so I loved it. So me and Shanair, my co-host, we were just talking about it. We were like, dude, no one's doing this. Like, why not us? Like, why don't we do it? And it kind of came at a perfect time, too, because in the pandemic, we had a bunch of free time. So we were just like, all right. If we're going to do this, like, how do we want to do this podcast? So if you listen to our shows, it's kind of a mix of Soccer 101 and 25 MLS Stories in Review because right. not only do we give you the current events of like how this person's story is relatable to now, but then we also give you the history behind said person. 
Um, but we wanted our podcast to be niche in a sense of we didn't want to do like the first episode to be like Pele or Killian and Bobby or Paul Public because you already know those people. Like the casual fan now, no Paul Public and no Killian Bobby. There's nothing different. The older crowd knows Pele. So it's like, like my mom knows Pele. My mom probably has watched 20 minutes of soccer her entire life. Uh-huh. So I'm like, all right, well, there's no point in doing that. So we decided to do stories that were more niche, but they were interesting in the fact of this is an important figure in soccer. Why? So that's kind of how we started. And then we chose the date Juneteenth, well, June 19th, um, just simply because, you know, everything that was happening in the summer, Juneteenth for us is pretty much Black Independence Day here in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this podcast that was dropping, and we were like, all right, this is the perfect day. This is where we're going to do it. So, yeah. It kind of came all together in a span of a month and a half. Yeah, a month and a half. Yeah, well, it, you hit the ground running with it. And honestly, you know, you've you've told some stories that have been the inf- inspiration for some of the stories that I've been telling this <laughs> month during Black History Month. Like, you know, Wendy Renard, like I listened to that podcast and I was like, she does have a really interesting story. That was your second episode. And then also uh, I will tease by saying uh, I'm doing a write-up on Nicholas and Nelka this weekend based on oh. you reviewing – misunderstood i finally got to see it and was like now i understand why i need to just go ahead and write about just his story so uh, you mentioned you mentioned some of them right you mentioned (laughs) some of these stories but how do you like how do you find some of these players like oh this is the dope story that we need to tell um it really just comes across as it just inspiration like i'll give you one for instance um the mario bellatelli Mm -hmm. mario bellatelli was a player that growing up only thing i heard about was He's a horrible person. Like he's, I don't know if you can cuss your podcast, so you might have to bleep this out. But he's <laughs> asshole. He's, you know, he's all about himself. Like the one clip that always got played in my head because I really became a soccer fan in 2014. So mm-hmm. I kind of miss prime Mario Bellatelli when he was an intern in Man City. So the one clip that pops up all the time is when he's in the preseason game against LA Galaxy. He kind of try, tries to like backheel a goal mm-hmm. and. They're like, oh, this is horrible. Like, he substitute raw. But then when we did his story, you could just see it was one of, like, misunderstood. Like, almost like Nicholas Analco in a sense. And Nicholas Analco's story is really one of, like, T.O. Like, right. his story is similar to T.O. in so many terms. But Mario Bellatori's story is one of, he really just needed a strong Black figure in his life a strong male figure. And he had that in Roberto Mancini. But the thing about it was, is that even though Roberto Mancini was strong in his life, he wasn't hard on him in the moments where he needed to be. Like he gave him too much leeway. And then when times when he needed to give him a hug, he would punch him in the chest. Like he Mm -hmm. would confuse the moments. But Mario's story was one that was so unique to us that we were like, all right, we have to do justice to his story because it's one that, everyone gets confused because of what the media tells you to think about him. Yeah. I feel like you can, you could do, you know, I know they had the Netflix, uh, Anelka misunderstood. I feel like they could take that and create a series out of it. Right. Oh, like okay. throwing in, you know, Balotelli and, you know, even, I mean, even some American players that are just like completely, like I always think Moadu is so underrated and people just think of him as this French player. I'm like, no, you misunderstood. Like even like the misunderstood portion can be construed to be like, Yo, you just don't realize how good 
or what kind of impact this player made on the game. And I think that's kind of, it seems like that's some of the stories that you have been telling on the podcast, even, you know, on social media when you're posting some of these players every day. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So even like the Black History and Soccer posts. So that came about three years before I even had a podcast. Like I was just like, and, you know, it's weird to look at Twitter now versus how it was three years ago where no one was even mentioning Black History. Like mm-hmm. it was like one of those things like, all right, January 4th, we'll make a posting. No one on Twitter will get upset at us. So eh, it is what it is. <laughs> three years ago now is like you waited to the second to make a post. Like, dude, come on, man. Um, so I started making the post and I was just like, all right, I want to bring awareness to soccer, but I want to bring awareness to black players and their importance. So what I normally would just do was like find some important facts on copy and paste and put it on Facebook, find a picture. Boom. And then when we started River City in 93, cause we started River City in 93 in March of that upcoming year. So coming up that coming February, we're kind of hitting the year. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to use my platform. Like, I'm a black man. Like, why not? And then the next year. So it's kind of like a thing, like, every year I have to do it. And it's weird in a sense because I have white friends that hit me up and be like, yo, I enjoy your it, – it's more white people than black people that hit mm-hmm. me up and be like, yo, I really enjoy your post because I never realized, like – I never knew the story of such and such. Or I never realized that – they were at this team at this particular moment, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's like, I know every black person of everywhere because sometimes like, I think Portland Timbers made a post recently about one of their black players. And I was like, all right, that's my next post tomorrow because I never knew that story. So I'm like, I want to bring awareness to this. And that's what it's all about. It's about bringing awareness to these players that, you know, we live in a country where, first of all, soccer knowledge and soccer history is not something that is well-documented. You know, if you want to go back and trace a lot of these clubs' histories, a lot of these teams' history, you can only do so maybe the last 10 years or so. And these mm-hmm. teams are outside of MLS. You know, MLS, yes, it, it's well-documented, you know, because it's, a, it's, a, it's been a well-documented league. But if we're talking NWSA, I mean, we're talking like uh, USL or MISL or whatever, it's not really well-documented. You might have a couple of people that know stuff, but – as far and large, history is all over the place. So if we can do a better job of that, and I want to do that in large part of with these black players and making sure they're not forgotten, because without them, you know, you don't have the likes of Demarcus Beasley, you don't have the likes of Jermaine Jones and um, you know Weston McKinney. So we have to pay respects to our legends in order for us to enjoy the future benefits. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that it's something where you're kind of like even you are learning throughout this because that's kind of how I see it with the series that I'm doing. The Kathy stories I know about but may not know all the details. As you said, they're not really documented, and you kind of do some digging on it, and you find something. And there's some where you're just like, yo, ain't nobody telling about this, and I didn't know about this. This is a great story. We need Someone needs to talk about it. So I'm glad you've been doing – you've been kind of promoting some of these, you know, players that I I won't say lesser players, but players that are mostly unknown to people or moments that are mostly unknown to people. Yeah. um, And also I like to think about it, like Wendy Renard's story is what made me appreciate women's football. Mm -hmm. Because up until that point, I never really had a women's football team because there's none real close to me. Like, even though I'm a rich man, people are like, Oh, you support Washington Spirit. But D 
DC and Richmond, like it's <laughs> we're not the same. Like it's <laughs> not like a hot tip of the jump. So doing the research on Wendy Renard and also like Crystal Dunn, it was like a certain point you couldn't learn anything else about the player. Like it was like if it wasn't up until the 2019 World Cup, it was like all of the footage was like, eh, like you might know something, you might not. And it's very, it was very confusing to me because I'm like, Wendy Renard is one of the greatest center halves in history, period. Like, men's or females. Like, if she was a male player, we would be talking about her to no end. And the fact is, like, a lot of the articles we found her about the 2019 World Cup, because it was in France, you know, it was like, oh, well, we can talk about her now. And that's what my whole thing has been about, like, what do we do these women footballers about, like, we have to do a better job of giving them the platform to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great that we're asking them now, but we have to keep that same pressure on them. You know, allow them to speak about these stories because a lot of the stories are are so great, but it's like no one covers them that, that no one knows about them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, this is, I mean, that, all those stories are, are really cool, but this is the part where uh, I usually do this at the end of a show, but this is the part where I ask you to choose between children. So which episode or episodes you can pick one or two have been your favorite to do or branching it out, even with the the posts on social media that you do, which of those stories have been your favorite to tell? Oh man. Oh man. I have to say, okay. So it's two. I think the most impactful one that we have done is the Lincoln Phillips one. And the Mm -hmm. reason why for that is because a lot of people, not only in the Richmond area, but a lot of people that I look at too as like soccer legends and media did not know that story, had no idea about it. And also because he's from this area, like he's from the DC, Nova, Richmond area. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people did not know his story. And when we did his story, you kind of see the trick of tricking on effect of, of now like Chicago House is kind of doing a highlight on him, man. I think he was on the crack podcast with Demarcus Beasley, who I've been trying. I've been DMing him to be a, a guest on my show. Like, <laughs> I want him because he was our first ever episode. Like I want him on our show. Um, they did a highlight with him. So you kind of now see the trick on effects of it of like we brought this story to the mainframe. And I realized this during our story, like we're never gonna be like the real highly popular podcast because we're so niche. Like I understand that. But and also in terms like we could bring Holly to it, and then they go on other shows where they get their, their flowers and whatnot, then hey, it's all worth it. Um and I think the other episode that really that I enjoyed doing. Oh man. Um I have to say it was the Black Supporters Roundtable that I did. That was I a really was, good one, by the way. Really good yeah. one. <laughs> I think that was around, I think it was around August. And the, the way how we designed the episode was just really on a whim. Um, we were just like, you know, all these issues were happening across supporter culture. And we were all just kind of equally frustrated. So we were just like, all right, man, we we need to talk about some of these issues that are happening. So that's what we decided to do. We decided to talk about these issues, put them out on forefront. And we did the podcast in a way of where, yes, we are all black, black supporters, first and foremost, but we are different black supporters because when it comes to soccer, 
a lot of soccer execs like to think that black people are all the same. Mm-hmm. So they like to try to do the same things. Like, hey, here's hip hop. And they think all black people love that. Like, no, like that's that's not gonna work. <laughs> right. Um, so we had supporters from Chicago, from Madison, from Richmond, from Atlanta, from New York, from LA, just all talking. And from I mean from Dallas as well, just all talking, but you can hear the different of what soccer means to us, what attracted us to the game, what makes the game attractive to us, what are some of the struggles that we're having of trying to get other people in our community in the game. So that podcast really opened a lot of people's eyes. And I, I mean, I loved it. I, I loved how we did that episode. Yeah, it was really good. We're going to we're gonna table the, the supporter talk for just a minute because we're going to talk about that. But I did want to just kind of get a glimpse into the future for you. Like what what stories are you looking to do down the road? Are there some that you have pegged that you want to tease or just say like, hey, this might be something that I might do a, a longer deep dive on on a, on a future episode? Um, so right now I can, I can tease this one, of course, on Sunday, we're going to be doing a crossover, uh, episode. We're going to have a guest host, um, the banner pub FC. Uh-huh. We're going to do an episode breaking down Thierry Henry's, uh, hand of the devil. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and really just because of that's a moment in black history that you really, you can kind of latch onto so many different things like racism, economics, you know, world cup implications because it kind of, and this is one thing I love about our show, and you, you probably hear it a lot of the episodes because I'm a stream agent. We really get into the what ifs. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the episodes where I might have to like reel myself in a lot because I will dive <laughs> into the what ifs of if France doesn't make it to this World Cup, do we then have the Nicholas Anelka explosion? Right. Do we then have the France rebuild in 2014 that leads to the 2018 World Cup win. Because if France doesn't make it to the 2010 World Cup, then that we don't... starts earlier. Yeah, maybe yeah. it starts earlier. Yeah, it starts earlier, but then we also don't have like Kareem Benzema doesn't get his breakout moment. Um Patrice Everett doesn't get excluded from the 2014 World Cup squad. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's so many what else, you know, Republic Ireland gets their moment in the sun and how does that 2010 World Cup, you know, helps Republic of Ireland? So it's so many what's up. Um, we're also doing another crossover episode with For the Culture United. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Andy Coles and Dwight York partnership mm-hmm. exclusively in Man United. And how was it to see, because in my, in my hearing, I might be wrong, that was the first exclusive, like, high profile, two black men leading the line for this English club and how, you know, how did this come to be and what was their historic importance on, you know, English soccer and things like that. Because when you talk about great English strikers, they don't get talked about, but they get mentioned in terms of like, oh yeah, there were two guys that were on this World Cup trouble team. <laughs> That's right. pretty much it. <laughs> you don't yeah. really hear anything else about them. Yeah, well, that'll be interesting and and you just did it again. You just teased you, you teased an episode and you're leading right into the broader discussion that I kind of wanted to have. Um, as you've told some of these stories over the past few years, you've also just uh, speaking personally, you've been instrumental in speaking out against injustices against black soccer players and maybe more important for the two of us and for others out there, black fans. Uh, you've become one of the leaders in black soccer support nationwide. So first of all, thank you for that uh, and, and all of you have done for that because it, you sell yourself short. You have done a lot in that area, but you've really helped inspire other 
supporters groups and collectives to form and just really that collaboration. So talk to me about that. How has it been to see that black support become more prominent over the last few years? It's it's amazing, man. Um, <laughs> it's weird to see how someone else called me a leader. <laughs> well, you are. I mean, it is. It's, it's, it's true. I, I'd say that. I say that genuinely. Like that's what it is, and and you should you should take pride in that because it's been. I mean, there has been a lot, and there's a lot of us out there, but you are definitely one of them. So walk walk tall like, amongst us. <laughs> I just see it like this, man. Like if there's something that's not right, you can't sit on the sidelines and try to change stuff without voicing your opinion. And I. I, and I realize it's it's Twitter, it's social media. Like sometimes you're going to be talking to a wall, but I'm like, if I can start these conversations with people, and sometimes you know it might be with a grain of salt. Like people might try to be genuine online, but they might not really be about that life in real life. But if I can get you in the mindset of where I can have a complete dialogue with you, where you can open your mind up, we can talk about the issue, and we can come to a place of like actual change, then it's all worth it. You know, and that that's, you know, part of the reason why, you know, a, a, a soccer fan supporter. Because it's like, these clubs, like, soccer is one of those sports we like to believe here in America. Because, you know, none of us really grew up in Europe, except for the ones that grew up in Europe. <laughs> but we're learning about this game along with the rest of America. So it's like, we can't gatekeep them and be like, you have to support your club this way. You have to support your club this way. Because I don't believe that. Like, I don't believe you have to support your club a certain way. But what I do believe is that if these clubs are going to sit here with these scheduled tweets and these promises of we're, we're about the community and we're about learning about the city, then I'm going to hold you to that. You know, first mm-hmm. of all, like, like I said it today, today, for instance, like I love the Richmond Kickers out of my own heart. I love this team. I wouldn't do a podcast for free if I didn't love this team. <laughs> but I'm also going to hold your feet to the fire because I know the potential of what you can be. And what you can be great at, you know. So it's like the baseball team here, the Richmond Flying Squirrels, they just did a whole dedication to the Richmond 34. For those who don't know, the Richmond 34 is a group of people that pretty much did a, um, a sitting. It's just the same as the Greenville Four. They did it here in Richmond where they just protested against unfair education, things of that nature. But they never got their just due until recently, about three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Richmond Flying Squirrels had like they retired the number thirty four. They're partnering with Virginia State, and it's going to kill me to say this other university's name, um, <laughs> Virginia <laughs> University. Um, they're partnering with them to pretty much say like we're going to take the business and the, and the sports department, take leaders in those two schools, bring them into our organizations. We can mentor them, and if they don't get a job in you know, in, in uh, Major League Baseball or in um, Minor League Baseball, they can take the experience and the re- and the resumes to go into these other businesses. Because in, in that kind of work, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And if I can say I know an MLB exec that can vouch me for a job, that, that speaks volumes. And in our community, we don't have those same opportunities as our counterparts. And that's one thing that I would... I would love to see the Richmond Kickers do is to latch onto the community. Because if you say you, you know, if your name is Richmond, you just don't represent one part of Richmond. You represent the entire part of Richmond, mm-hmm. the North, the South, the East, the West. You represent all of it, you know? So give people those opportunities in our community to show like, Hey, you know, you want to market to us. 
give us an opportunity to be in your front offices, you know? And that's part of what, well, like I talk about on Twitter, like, you know, I, I'll mention the conversation. Like I had the, I talked about to another guard uh, supporters up in Detroit. Um, and it was just a conversation about, like, I wasn't trying to call them out just to be like, well, you're not doing enough. Like it, it's never a point of me just trying to call you out is because I, I'm bringing up awareness to you because I know how great you can be. Right. And because <clears throat> we can't be in a place of people saying they're an ally just because it fits their narrative or it fits what they want to be. If you say you are an ally, you have to show that you're an ally, not just by making a post. That's the bare minimum. You should make a post. You should make a Black History post. You should bring awareness to Black communities. That's that's the bare minimum. But what you have to do is be intentional in your words and actually go out into those communities and help. Because if you can go out here and make promo videos for a soccer jersey or for this scarf that you're making, or and this is this isn't about North Dakota. This is also Parker supporters groups in general. If you could go out here and make posts about that, why can't you go out here and make posts about what you're doing in the community? But when, when someone asks you about it, you're like, oh, well, we just keep our work to ourselves. You know, we, we don't need to show what we're doing. But you could go out here and friendly flaunt about this scarf that's overpriced that looks mm-hmm. ugly and whatnot. Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you pick and choose what you want to promote, you know? And that, right. that's what I just talked about. Well, you are also omniscient because that was leading into my next question once again. <laughs> apparently, have I wrote these questions like maybe a couple hours ago and did not share these with you. And apparently, you already knew them anyway. Uh, but <laughs> why, why is the bare minimum such a problem? I mean, it, it, I'm right there with you because it's not – like you said, it's not just supporters. It's, it's teams. It's organizations. It's, it's leagues. It's front offices everywhere that are – it's you have to ask them and beg them and demand that they do the bare minimum and you can't even get that. So why, like, why is this a problem that, and, and, and really I'll, I'll ask again, like, why is this a problem that we as black people have to be the ones forcing upon? Why is this not something that's shared, uh, shared, shared in, I don't know what the word is, but <laughs> no, no, I got you. I, I get what you're saying. Like to be honest with you is just because, there's no one in the front offices that look like us that can speak about the issues. And now uh, let, let me also say this. There are people that look like us, but we are still the minority. So when mm-hmm. we bring these issues up, it's met with more of, it's almost dealt like with trauma. You know how people talk about trauma where it comes from a standpoint of, well, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Why would we need to do that? We, we've done this. It's met with a more of a condescending tone than more of, you have this idea. Let me give you the tools to help. Because if I come out here with this cool way to talk about the schedule and talk about season tickets or how to sell PSLs, you know, <laughs> I guarantee I'm going to get all the tools in the world to do that because I'm bringing money in. Mm-hmm. But because I want to bring in, I want to actually bring awareness to this group of people and do more outreach in the city and do something that doesn't necessarily bring money in. Soccer teams are like, well, we, we don't know if we can do that. Like, it's the whole thing with Black Lives Matter. And I'm, and look, I'm going to be real with you. because you, I mean, Donald, because you know me. <laughs> when it comes to Black Lives Matter, I understand you're going to have some people that are hesitant. They're going to sit on the fence. But my mm-hmm. whole thing is, let me, my whole thing is with this is, let me know up front where you stand at. 
I don't need you sitting on the fence. If you're for it, I need you 100% in, willing to go, lock and loaded. If you're against it, that's fine. I'm not about to sit here and try to go back and forth with you trying to change your mind because I'm going to lose oxygen doing that. Ain't no point. Right. So let me know so I know where to put my energy at so I can do the things I need to do. You no, know, that, and, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's my whole thing when it comes to a lot of these soccer clubs, you know, and a lot of these soccer organizations and bigger ups because it's like you want you want our money, but then you won't make the effort to go talk to us. Or when you do make the effort to go talk to us, we have to go meet you where you're at to make you feel comfortable. Not you coming to us, not you coming to our schools, not you coming to our fields, not you coming to our programs and making us feel comfortable, you know? And that's the whole thing about it. Like, a lot of these soccer clubs think they hot stuff and they not. Like, it's also the other thing about it is when you look at it, a lot of these soccer clubs struggle to get notoriety because nobody knows you because you're not willing to take the time to get known. Mm -hmm. And also partially, I also understand it because you're going to market to who you know and your close circle of friends. I get that. But if you say you represent the community, you need to make sure that you have someone that representative of that community. It is not so much just hiring a black head coach. That's great. It should be more black head coaches. But that's also the bare minimum. Having a black head coach means nothing when you're not promoting in that community. You know, having black assistants, having black people in the front office, that's great. But when you're not marketing in those communities, it means nothing. When you're not making intentional steps and doing purposeful actions to actually go out here and say, we're making an effort to try to be part of this community. And if they say no to you, then, hey, you tried. I can't knock you for it because you tried. You put in the effort. Mm -hmm. I can't just sit there. My thing is, you can't sit here and say, like, oh, we hired a black head coach. We're trying. Like, okay, yeah, that's great. What are the next steps? What are the personal asks? Because right now, a lot of teams are thinking short action. They're not thinking long-term purposeful action. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I went on a ramble there. <laughs> no, no, that's I mean that's good information and and really people again this whole episode is about people need to hear that right like you know it's not just about prop up and, and we we see this for other communities too we'll say hey you know we're going to get this player we'll get this coach we'll get this president and people will like that and they'll come out because of this guy and I'm like no you have to still make the inroads to say this is part of an effort that we're trying to do to to have long term roots in this group i mean tall trees don't have short roots they have they have deep roots long thick roots that go far and i think that's what you know you're trying to do in richmond and others across the nation are trying to do with their respective teams is to say make this where 30 years from now there's another dude whose name is an elliot bar that is that doesn't have to lead the charge in richmond because richmond kickers are leading the charge right yeah and that's what it's all about like it shouldn't have to be a thing of it shouldn't have to be, and this, I will say this, it's never about me. I don't want it to be about me. I mm-hmm. don't care if I get, like, of course you want the recognition, you want the shine, you want your flowers. That's what Can I Kick is all about. It's about giving people those flowers. But what I don't want is it to be something to where, oh, Ellie's only doing this because he wants his 15 minutes of fame. I don't care about that. I don't, what I want 
It's for the community to be recognized and to have a place where, like you said, those long roots are being built in, but that's purposeful. You know, mm-hmm. I want to build a connection, for instance, where the you know people from my alma mater, Virginia State University, you know, trying to break it into sports because I had a lot of friends, and this is something that deterred me from being going into sports or going into sports journalism because I'm like, well, dang, it's about what you know. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. And as black people, we don't really know that many people in soccer journalism. I mean, it's not that many faces. Like. You're one of the bigger faces that I know, and Aaron West is one of the bigger faces. But I, you know, I didn't know y'all at the time, so I'm like, it's hard to break in, right? So, in order to have people to have that platform to break into, we have to create the pipeline, and the pipeline it has to be someone that can hold the pipeline there. You know, and granted, if I never get the pot 20, 30, 40 years down the line, I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I've come to terms with that, but I want it to be something where the next generation of people can stand up on our shoulders and take it to that next level because we can only do so much. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think about it in terms of how soccer was started in Europe. You know, a lot of great people who started soccer clubs, started legends, start, started things over there, didn't get their flowers until 60, 70 years down the road where these other people was like, hey, without them, we're not here, you know? Manchester United isn't Manchester United without, you know, the people that bought the club. You know, mm-hmm. Bayern Munich aren't what Bayern Munich is without the people that started, you know, the grassroots movement. And that's what I that's what I'm looking at it to be here. Because when we are gone away from this world, the next generation is gonna be looking at it like, all right, what these people did, now we have the momentum to take it to the next level. Are we ever going to see a black ownership group truly come together and own a soccer club in the next five, 10 years? Maybe, maybe not. But it's great to see DeMarcus Beasley be a part of an ownership group. It's great to see Charlie Davies be part of an ownership group because now in my head, I'm like, okay, this is the foundation. This is the start. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we get to the next level of we don't need to be the minority owner. We can be the full-time owner. We can bankroll a team. And, you know, we, we can do that and go on from there. We're going to pause right here quickly for a break, but when we come back, more with Elliot Barr. Stick around. All right, let's get you back to the interview with Elliot Barr, co-host of the Can I Kick It podcast and the River City 93 podcast. There's there's clearly a lot of work to be done. There's you know, teams, front offices, leagues, fans, and even some players that kind of don't seem like they want to put the work in. But for me, I always think I always go with the philosophy of you don't know where you're going until you know where you've been. That's kind of been what you've done with some of your stories is kind of what I've liked to do and sharing some of the stories. And even this year, learning about some of the, the present and the future, you have to kind of realize who you, you know, who they're emulating, who they're trying to stand on those shoulders. Right. So how do we get, how do we get where we need to go? Like in your mind, and it doesn't, and I know change doesn't necessarily come overnight, but like what, what steps can be taken right now? that we can sit there and say, look back at the end of this year, the end of next year and go, Hey, we, we, we laid a foundation for this to grow. 
I think it really comes down on supporters because I think the thing that makes us different from other fans that like base basketball, football, baseball, for instance, is the leagues do the majority of the work. The leagues will do the majority of the record keeping and the history keeping, things like that. It's up to us as fans to do that for soccer. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I say that is if we do that, then we control the narrative of how we want history in our game to be written, how we want our legends to be remembered, you know? And I'm not necessarily talking about black players in particular. I'm talking about players in general. You know, if there's a great soccer legend in your area, make sure you do everything you can to remember those moments. So when it comes to the next generation of fans coming up, you give them something to latch on to because there's only so many atmospheres here in America that can truly get the casual fan in to be a soccer fan. Outside of like Sporting KC, Atlanta, uh, Seattle, Portland, LAFC, the ones I can think of at the top of my head, and there's only so many. And I'm not saying others are bad, but is is the personal connection and emotional connection that are going to bring those people in. And then that's what that's how you build that community because now it's like like here in Richmond, for instance, like William Yambi, he's good in any hood. Like mm-hmm. he is soccer royalty here in Richmond because of the connection we have to him. But also Richmond Kickers fans will never let you forget William Yambi is the captain leader of this team. Like he is gone. He's gone ODU. He's assistant coach in there. We wish him all the best. But he will ever be the captain here. Like that's that's how great of a man he is here. Um, but it's also about making sure that we don't forget those legends. But then on the flip side of it, we also have to do a better job of being aware of the moment that we're in. You know, because and I know I'm gonna use the PR word your on your podcast, so you might have some angry folks, but when it comes to something that is a pro realm, we're living in the moment. So we're not recognizing of what's what's happening, what's happening right in front of us, you know. So when it comes to a year from now, we're all looking back like, dang, like we've been to a whole pandemic, like soccer culture really blew up because it, in terms of instance, you had multiple different voices speaking up. You know, us at River City 93, For the Culture, Plastics SG, Father Stone Flamingos, Black Fires, um, Roseman Collective. You had so many different voices starting to speak up and stand up because it's like, we can't just sit aside no more. We can't just be the, not token black person, but we can't just be the minority. You know, Shirley Chisholm had the famous quote, if they don't offer you a chair at the table, pull out a folding chair and sit right there. Mm-hmm. And that's what black soccer culture is all about. We're not waiting anymore for them to offer us a seat. We're going to make a seat for ourselves and make sure that we're invited. We're going to make sure that our voices are heard. And if you want to hear what I got to say, that's fine and dandy. But I'm going to make sure you hear it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? And that, that's what it's all about, man. So, I mean, you formed a bond with some of these other ones, like you like you mentioned. In, and I'll talk about one in just a minute. But what's it been like? You, you've talked a little bit about what's it been like to get to know them and collaborate. But what have you learned from them? Like, I know they've learned a lot from you. But, like, what have you said? Like, hey, like, this group right here has been doing their thing in a way that I think I can bring this to Richmond and, and the Richmond kickers and, and the supporter culture there. 
Oh, God, you going to make me say their name, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I'm going to have some people hit me up. Uh, Featherstone Flamingos is one. It definitely out there for it matters. Just how inclusive they are. And just that inclusive in terms of what they do on social media, you know, because they are. They are truly meme FC. Like, they put something <laughs> out there. People will buy it and flip it and sell it. But just how inclusive the fan base is and how welcoming they are, um, it is intentional. It's not something to where it, it's it's not it's not fake. You know, mm-hmm. you can tell you can tell it's a true, genuine love between the black supporters group and this supporters group. You know, it's not in the case of like Chicago where you got black fires here, you got section eight here. And you can tell it's like y'all not mixing. Right. <laughs> and, but there you can tell, and that's and that's something where we want here in Richmond, like we want a black supporters group, but we also know like we have to build a foundation. And that means if we got to start out in the River City Red Army and then heavily branch out, then hey, that's what it is. But we want, you know, we want River City Red Army first to be a place of where people feel welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to change the narrative of we're just soccer fans on the weekends and we really care what happens on the pitch. No, we want to break away from it. We want to have more roots in our communities and and working more with the local nonprofits. That's why we're trying to do things like a, a drive with um, the organization called Hashtag Lunchbox, where they design meals for the home and not design meals. They make meals from the homeless, give gear to the homeless, all for free. You know, and that's something we want to partner with. We want to partner with Diversity Thrift RBA that does work with the local LGBTQ community. We want to work with the Richmond Bell Bond you know, that are helping people, you know, transition from jail back to community in a safe space. We want to partner with Richmond Public Schools, things like that. So that way, when we're in the stadium, yeah, we can come together, cheer for the team. That's all fine and dandy, but we're also doing the work behind the scenes and we're letting people know about it publicly because if I'm going to charge you $30 for a scarf, I'm going to let you know. Ten of that the money is going to this uh, RBA fund that's helping us do this stuff, right? You know, and it's all intentional. It's all intentional in ways like that. But then also like for the culture, like I tell Grego this all the time. Like if it wasn't for me listening to uh, for the culture United River City ninety three is not a thing because <laughs> mm-hmm. they were like the first black people I actually heard talk about soccer. And I'm like, we talk about soccer? Like this is a thing? Like this is a taboo? <laughs> Uh, so yeah so like that for instance dumb down there man um god plastics um support and the better pub fc as well and i would really credit them we're saying we became more outspoken because of them because you know about it man and every black person would tell us we got we have to learn how to code switch mm-hmm. we gotta learn how to say certain things not to piss off the wrong person but for them man it just got to a point where we were just like F it. <laughs> We can put these emotions out there. And like one of our podcasts, man, it was the Greenville trial on River City 93. Um, we opened the episode just straight up. was just like, we're going to talk about soccer, but that's going to be the last thing we talk about. Like we're going to talk about these issues that are happening in the world because we are two black men. We have two black wives. Shanair has a son. Um, and these issues are affecting us. Like this is stuff that was affecting us. If us to not take our platform and talk about it, wasn't genuine and for instance like normally on game days we talk about you know the game was happening during the game of course and things like that but that particular day we didn't tweet about the game 
we actually just tweeted out local programs in the city of Richmond. Mm-hmm. I and remember I that. Also, yeah, I think it's actually the thread on our Twitter page. So when we go to our Twitter page, you know, the pen tweet mm-hmm. um, about the programs in the city of Richmond that people could donate to. So every moment in the game, we're just throwing out a different program, you know, throwing out Art 180, throwing out this program, throwing out this program, throwing out that program. And we're just like, look, these are things in the city of Richmond that you can help with, that you can do, you know? And we did it like that. Like, we put it out there for people to bring awareness to the city. Absolutely. Uh, so now, have we? since we've talked about the supporters, we got to talk about the Henny Dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's the most unique rivalry <laughs> in American soccer. It, I would say it's a, but it's a friendly rivalry between the teams. It's not like the, I mean, the teams have started to embrace it, but it started because you and the, actually, you know, what, I'm not going to say, I want you to tell, tell the listeners how the Henny Derby got started and, and grew into this event. Um, it really got started because two black guys wanted to share a bottle of Hennessy. <laughs> Be quite honest with you. Uh, no, the Henny Derby, it, it got started because me and Kyle was on Twitter, you know, two black guys. And we were just like, our teams play each other. And this is when formats first came in the league. Everyone was in love with formats. So like, mm. formats, he can do no wrong. It I really mean, they came They came with heat now. I mean, don't, like, did. I know you he don't did. like to hear that, but they came with some heat. He did, man. He did. <laughs> If anyone can write a course, I feel like Cam, whoever's in charge of Fort Mads at the time, needs to write a book on social media management and give it to every soccer club. Because the way how they came on, you couldn't do it no better, man. You couldn't do it no better. Because um, they truly embrace everything about lower soccer. Like, lower soccer, you're not supposed to take yourself serious. You're in lower soccer for a reason. <laughs> like, have fun. Um, but the Derby got started because I just hit, I hit Kyle up. And I was just like, yo, you want a better bottom? And we were just like, yeah. And then that game, man, and to this day, like, I tell Daniel Jackson this every time I see him. I will name my first child after you because he <laughs> scored that winning goal. And <laughs> they celebrated in front of the Featherstone Flamingos and, you know, the flock in. And I was just so happy. Like, the first <laughs> dark win went to the Richmond Kickers, and I just went ecstatic. Um... But yeah, that's how it all got started. Now, the night that everyone knows about that, I really think brought awareness to the Henny Derby and Black supporter culture was Heritage Night. And that was the night I was working on with the Richmond Kickers um, to really bring awareness to Black people in the city um, and try to build those connections, like I said, like build that pipeline between the Richmond Kickers and the Black community. Um, It happened Heritage Night. And... If you, I think some people have seen that the Heritage Night kits that I designed mm-hmm. with the Richard Pickers, um, all the proceeds went to Alpha Phi Alpha, which I'm a member of, um, the Black History Museum, and El Campo. Uh, I went to those three organizations. Uh, El Campo is, a, is a organization that's outside Richmond that um, works with the Latin community to donate soccer gear. So they do a free soccer camp for two months. And at the end of the camp, the kids get to take the gear. So they don't have to pay for anything, but they get free soccer balls, free cleats, mm-hmm. they get free tutoring, um, uh, health, dental, everything. Like the whole nine yards, you get it. Um, 
and that's a night that I was working on the whole night. So, and it just happened to so-called line up on when Foreign Madison was coming to Richmond. Now, unfortunately, we didn't win. But the pregame and the tailgate, oh, man, it was it was legendary. It was like an HBCU homecoming, yo. And for those who haven't been to HBCU homecoming, first, support your first local HBCU. Do it. Please do it. <laughs> and two, when everything clears up and all the road are gone, please go to a HBCU homecoming. Ain't nothing like it. <laughs> and this was, man, it was cool because at this moment, I wasn't, I didn't know if I was like soccer cool. I didn't know if I was soccer royalty. And Taylor Rockwell hit me up. And he was like, hey, man, we're about to have a little kickback at the house. Like, it, I, he was at one of his boys' houses that's near City Stadium. He was like, yo, come by before you go to the tailgate. I was like, all right, cool. Like, you know, stop by. First of all, it's Taylor Rockwell from the Taylor's Total Soccer Show that hit me up. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I get to the house and I walk in, and then there's Jason Day, there's P- uh, Pablo Mara. Andy Styles, and I'm like, dude, is this for real? <laughs> like, this is <laughs> this is like soccer royalty in this house, and we're just sitting here chilling, having beers, and then we go to the tailgate, man. And that's when we met up for photo culture, um, Oakland, uh, not Oakland, oh, uh, the North Carolina Courage supporters group. They came mm-hmm. up because Connor Tobin was a North Carolina Courage player, and the former mock, and man, it was, whoo. It was amazing, man. It literally, like, I still have people come up to me and be like, "Yo, that's the best tailgate experience that I've had." And these that's, are like long-term, Richmond, yeah, it's long-term Richmond kicking supporters. Because one thing that you know, tradition here in Richmond is before each game we have a tailgate. We have about a two, three-hour tailgate. People will smoke pork, bring out chicken wings. Like we have a theme for each one, man. And that one, yo, it was. It was legendary. And you can tell, like like you said, it's a friendly derby. It's not a derby where we're malicious, going at each other's throats. It's not like Charlotte and, and North Carolina FC where, you know, we saw on Twitter, it's, it's dangerous out there. You might have to right. watch your shoulder. But Richard and Ford Madison, man, is, is a lighthearted derby, man. You know, you throw jabs at each other, but it's nothing malintent. Um, and it's all about the betterment of black people. Like, if it becomes the nat- National Black Caucus, for black supporter culture, then hey, I'm all for it. <laughs> hey, and you have a trophy now too, don't I mean? You oh yeah, we got a trophy. It's an actual Hemi bottle. It's an yeah. actual Hemi bottle, um, which is unique and is something that is cool to have between supporters, man. It's, it's something cool because it's not one of those derbies where it's manufactured. It's not something where the league mandates like Richard and Greenville arrivals, Board and Union arrivals, and it's like the fans are like, well. I guess we gotta hate each other. <laughs> like, um, but this something is something where the fans came together and was like, "All right, we need to have a trophy, and it can't mm-hmm. be something where it's like a vase or a glass." It's like, no, it's it, it's got to be a honey bottle. So absolutely, that, that's what it is. Man. That's what it is. Uh, and, and I know the USL schedule isn't out yet, but hopefully, if the teams play at a date where things are a little bit more open back up and they're letting fans into the stands again and or at least on a on a increased scale. I know Richmond did a, a, gave you a taste of that uh last yeah. year, but are you and the uh Featherstone Flamingos going to show up? We going to get some merch this time? We got to uh, you know, I have some dollars <laughs> that need to be part of it. Look, I, I tell people this all the time. 
I am not the merch person. I am not the <laughs> graphic designer. I leave that to those who do that stuff. Like I leave that to them. Um, but yeah, look, man, I I'm supposed to be having a meeting with the kickers too. I got to actually email the guy uh, so we can start planning Heritage Night 2.0. But um, we're look if we can come up with something cool, unique, and that really talks about black culture, man, I'm all down for it. I don't. I know last year we kind of ran into the case before Madison kind of trying to profit off the night. Mm-hmm. But I want it to be something where if we do make money off the night, that the money doesn't go to the club. I mean, I, granted, I know the club's going to make that, get that cut. But I don't want it to be something where, like, I'm getting money back from it. I want it to be something where the money's going back into the community. Yeah, so, that's what's up. That's what's up. And, and again... I, I will offer my help and assistance of any ideas that you may have. Get this thing popping because uh, I'm definitely coming next time. Next time we're, we're open and able, I'm gonna be down there. While we're at it, the Richmond Kickers—they're obviously in USL League One. For those people out there that don't know, uh, you have North Carolina uh, SC is moving into the league. That probably sets up a nice regional rivalry. But what are your expectations for the Kickers this season? I know they were close last year yeah. but do you think they get over the hump and they and they and they compete for the title this year oh well going oh i'll take it back so going into last year we predicted that the kickers will be anywhere between that three to six range we didn't we never thought that we would be like second entertainment granted Greenville went on an amazing run um but it was so part of that year and Shanir was all bought in he was like we are we are going for the title we are winning the title and i was more like i don't know man like the injury bug really caught us uh, so that, near the end of part of the year, it really was the Union Omaha game where things kind of flipped. Like we won the battle, but we lost the war because three of our key players got hurt, and we had to play yeah. a lot of players out of position. We weren't able to rest as much. We were able to really like have fresh legs. So going into this year, I think Darren's done a great job of bringing in not only a lot of the key players back, but he's also brought in players that can do that dual role, that can play the defensive mid, but also can play center back. We have center backs for height now, which is a rarity in lower league soccer. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> but we also have, you know, a lot of the key players back. I think the first part was bringing back Emiliano Tejaki, but now we also have the ability to not only put him in the midfield, but also have key attacking pieces in front of him, like Stanley Alves, like Jonathan Bolognos. You know, we have those parts as well. So it's going to be interesting to see what the kickers can do this year. Um, in terms of what's Darren looking to do. Because a lot of the issues that we had last year was we had a plan A, but there really wasn't a plan B. Mm-hmm. So how are the kickers able to formulate that plan, plan B and be effective in it? And I think Darren's next step is to make us more of a possession team, but still have that high press effectiveness to us. Um, so we don't drop off so much. I think in terms of this year, I think it could go any way. Um, Union Omaha, for those who are casuals that don't really look at League One, I think Union Omaha is a team that's going all in. They bought two key players from Chattanooga Red Wolves, um, with Greg Hurst and Stephen Beattie. Um, and they're looking to go, it's boom or bust for Union Omaha. Because um, if they didn't have the role, if they didn't catch the role at the end of the year, they would have been playing Greenville. And they beat Greenville two weeks before the finals. So that would have been an interesting matchup. Greenville's another team and with John Hart and uh, Dallas J that they pretty much, they haven't brought in a lot of new pieces. They pretty much took the same squad from last year and just like, all right, we're running this thing back. 
Um, for Madison, is a team that, and don't get me wrong, this is not the rival in me speaking. This is like the USL, like guy that looks at the league that watches every game in USL League One. Like I actually tracked it last year. I watched every game in USL League One outside of one. And the only reason why That's I didn't wild. watch that game is because I already knew that game had like no implications on the playoff standings. So I was like, I'm not about to waste my time watching this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I watched every game in USL League One. Um, Ford Madison is a team for the last two years that's been hyped up to be the team that can win the league, but they haven't lived up to it on the field. So it's interesting to see with a new head coach um, to see what they can do. I think they're in the midst of trying to figure out what, they're, what they want their identity to be. I have an idea what their identity should be. They should really be a team that is a defensive lockdown team that is looking to play on a counterattack. I think for themselves and their fans want them to be the team that of uh, like Tiki Taka. They want to be the Barcelona of USL League One, but that's they don't have the kind of players for it. Um, and I think the rest of the league is going to be interested. It's going to be interesting to see what a FC Tucson that's now independent. You know, they're not relying anymore on um, you know, Phoenix Rising for players to see what they can do, to see how they can come up because they they took a lot of teams early on. They surprised a lot of teams. Um, North North Texas, you know, for instance, with them losing Arturo Rodriguez and um, Ronaldo, how are they able to get back to the heights they were? Because at the beginning of the year, they looked like they were done and dusted, and then they get those two players back, and they almost got into the league table if Union Omaha mm-hmm. loses. So it's interesting to see what's going to happen in USL League One this year. I think for Richmond personally, what is going back to the 16th table, I think we can finish anywhere between second and fourth. I think we'll be fine with me. My whole thing is I want to have a home playoff game. Richmond hasn't had a home playoff game since, if memory serves me right, 2014. Mm-hmm. Our last playoff game was on the road against Louisville in 2016. So it's been a long time since we've been in the playoffs, and it's been even a long time since we had a home playoff game. So. In any scenario in which we have a home playoff game, I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, there After it is. That, it's a one shot. It's, it's rolling the dice. <laughs> That's what's up. That's what's up. Before we get out of here, E, why don't you tell the people where they can find you and all the great work you're doing? Oh, uh, yeah. So you can follow me at um, River City 93 Of course, you can follow the podcast there. Um, you can follow me personally at uh, Yogi McLovin on Twitter. I had to make sure. Make sure it was the right <laughs> one. Um, yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter and, uh, you know, interact with us. If you have any suggestions for Can I Kick It episodes, please, we love to hear them. Um, we're not promising that we're going to get around to it. I'm also going to say this now. We are not doing a Pele episode ever. So don't <laughs> ask for it. It's not happening. <laughs> we're not doing it. Um, so, yeah, that's where you can follow us at. That's what's up. And everybody, make sure you subscribe to Can I Kick It and the River City 93 podcast and follow Elliot. You'll be glad you did. E. Thanks again for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. I just appreciate the conversation. And thank you for, again, for being one of the leaders that's really been stepping up in, in, in the game for Black Soccer Support. So keep up the great work, my dude. Uh, thank you, man. Thank you for having me on, man. And, and make sure, hey, I'm telling you, the Henny Derby, whew, if, if there's fans in stands, just tell me. You know I'm 90 minutes away. <laughs> I know. I got you, man. I got you. I got you. All right. All right. <laughs> Hey, 
And I want to thank Elliot Barr for joining me and talking through some of these important issues in black supporter culture and just in soccer, American soccer in general, because they need to continually be discussed even after the calendar flips to March and beyond. And it shouldn't be just two black men putting these stories out there. Everyone needs to do their part to keep these stories at the forefront, have the difficult conversations with each other, with your families, get uncomfortable because some of us have to be uncomfortable every day with this. So as we conclude this episode 42 of the Stars and Stripes SC podcast, the last one during the month of February and Black History Month, continue to push for change, continue to amplify and promote black voices, thoughts, and people. The boardroom of these teams and leagues and organizations should reflect the boardwalk of life, and our perspectives are necessary in that equation. Continue to elevate black voices and perspectives as fans and make sure that they are all represented. Don't strive for the bare minimum. Push the envelope. Finally, keep these stories going. Black History Month shouldn't be the only 28 or 29 days where you learn, relearn, and unlearn some of these stories and issues. Black people don't wait for February to make history. It's made every day, and it's American history, world history. Let's keep making it. Let's keep telling it. Enjoy the weekend, everyone. We'll talk next time. Take care.